Hey everyone, I'm Ian Shapiro. Today on Politics Explained, we have the road forward for GOP healthcare and also tips about how to understand and defend against fake news. All that and more on today's Politics Explained. Now let's get to the politics. Today we begin Politics Explained as we always do with Trump Tweets Explained. Donald Trump was up bright and early this morning tweeting about Democrats, Republicans, and healthcare. I actually myself took a Twitter poll the other day saying, since the GOP doesn't look like they're going to be able to pass their repeal and replacement of Obamacare as it currently stands, more on that in a bit, what is Donald Trump going to tweet about? Is he going to tweet about politics in general? Is he going to tweet about Hillary Clinton? Is he going to tweet about China? Is he going to tweet about Democrats and Republicans? Well, it turns out he's going to tweet about Democrats and Republicans, and also a little bit about Obama. First, Donald Trump says, we were let down by all of the Democrats and a few Republicans. Most Republicans were loyal, terrific, and worked hard. We will return. Here, Donald Trump is referencing the fact that they needed 51 votes in order to take health care through the reconciliation process in order to repeal portions of Obamacare. That did not happen for reasons that we'll talk about in just a second. Donald Trump also tweeted, As I have always said, let Obamacare fail and then come together and do a great health care plan. Stay tuned. So what Trump is referencing here is a few interviews uh, at the beginning of his presidency and also during his presidency. He kind of used the word great a lot. There was going to be great health care for everyone. It was going to be affordable. And this sounded at base like a much more generous plan than anything Republicans have ever talked about. And so it turned a lot of heads. It was like, is Trump willing to just sign anything? But he kind of had a populist message in the campaign, so he would kind of like a more Bernie Sanders-esque, uh, very generous healthcare system. Anyway, this is just Trump going back and forth, kind of struggling with what his base wants and what his party wants. Donald Trump also tweets, with only a very small majority, the Republicans in the House and Senate need more victories next year since Dems totally obstruct no votes. He's here referencing the fact that Democrats have been in solidarity against this health care repeal and replacement in both the House and the Senate. No Democrat has, uh, you know, really had a part in shaping the bill, and thus they didn't amount to any yes votes for the bill. What Donald Trump is incorrect about is this idea that uh, the House and Senate are going to have more victories uh, next year in 2018. There's an basically an ironclad law of midterm loss. It's a law in political science that 
gets about as close to those laws of physics that you hear about. It essentially says that the president's party is going to lose seats in the House and Senate in the midterm election after they are elected president. There's a whole lot of uh, mechanism, psychological and structural for why this happens, but we don't need to go into exactly that. Donald Trump finally tweets, the Senate must go to a 51 vote majority instead of current 60 votes. Even parts of full repeal need 60. Eight Dems control Senate. Crazy. For this, I would suggest that Donald Trump and all of you refer to Federalist 10, where James Madison discusses factions and the tyranny of majority. It's one of the reasons why we have a federal system of government and also why we have a Senate that is not majoritarian in nature. Hey, Politics Explained. This is Adam Chiara from Politics Trending. I got a question for you. Not an original thought, but one that I'd like to get your take on. You know, there's that theory out there that when President Trump tweets something and it seems like it's completely out of left field, it's really meant to take everybody on a wild goose chase. That it's really trying to, he's trying to distract everybody from the important issues. We should be talking about X, and this tweet makes everybody talk about Y, try to decipher what he's saying, what does it mean, when really it meant nothing. It was to do exactly what we all do, which is just to have us talk about it and not pay attention to important issues. So my question is, what do you think about that? Um, is this intentional when Trump does it? And also, are we all guilty of it? Should we be giving as much attention to the tweets as we do? And I'm guilty of that too, um, but I'd like to get your take on that. Okay, so we've got two questions to answer here. One. Are Donald Trump's tweets nonsensical on purpose? Okay, so there's a for and against argument here as there are with most positions. The yes, his tweets are uh, just like this with no kind of ulterior uh, strategic motive comes to me in this idea that when Trump's out of the country, he's not really tweeting all that much. And when he comes back, you'll get a Saturday morning tweet storm where Trump just didn't have his phone or couldn't uh, be bothered to get away from foreign world leaders. And now he's kind of just letting his whole load off, um, so to speak. So I, I think from that perspective, I'd say when we see him out of the country, he doesn't tweet. And then when he comes back in, uh, he gets really angry with all the stuff that he missed. It just goes crazy. He, there's no real um, specific timing, I guess. If timing was a big issue, then he would also tweet more while abroad because it wouldn't matter where he was. If something was happening in America, he would go to Twitter town. Now, on the other side of the coin, you could say Trump is being strategic with the crazy things that he tweets because they seem to coincide with, you know, the Senate generating health care, uh, things like that. And like maybe he's hiding the dirty little secrets of that going on. But here, don't we run into, I hate saying this, you know I hate saying this as a scientist, don't we run into saying, like a, a correlation causation issue? This is kind of like a, a broken clock, a broken Trump is right 
twice a day where Trump is just tweeting crazy things. And because politics is always going on and we live in a 24-hour news cycle, it always seems like something is being covered up by what Trump is tweeting because Trump tweets so frequently and big things are happening in the news about politics so frequently. So that's the first half of the question. The second half of the question is, are we at fault? Are we responding poorly, uh, you, know, you know, going gaga over things like Kofefe, right? Um, and my response to that would be no. I don't think it's my, this is my opinion. This is my opinion. I could be very wrong here. It's my opinion that we are not overreacting because by not overreacting, we begin to do what everyone said not to do during the campaign and right after. We can't normalize Trump's behavior. If we don't react in interesting, creative, and sometimes highly vocal ways, Trump's behavior may become commonplace in our democracy. He may encourage other people like him who are bombastic and policy amateurs who don't really understand the way the world works or have really shreds of common decency in them to you know, become more mainstream in American politics. And as someone who studies American politics, loves the story of the founders about how it's all about compromise and is indebted to things like the Federalist Papers for understanding how our Constitution actually works, the idea of people becoming complacent with Trump's tweets instead of just going crazy and making memes about them, that terrifies me. I would much rather have memes about Trump's tweets uh, while we all still accept that they're crazy than just idly sit by and normalize them in that way. Uh, yeah, so those are my thoughts. Uh, those are my unbridled thoughts, and you got them out of a scientist. So good job. That's pretty darn good for a call-in. Uh, anyway, if anyone else has a call-in about Donald Trump, politics, policy, uh, really anything in American politics in general, even survey methodology. You know, I talk about I talk about scientific methods also. Uh, you're listening to Politics Explained. I'm Ian Shapiro. If you've seen healthcare trending on your news feeds or on Twitter, it's because there have been developments. Just yesterday, two more senators at the same time on the GOP side of the aisle said that they are not willing to vote in favor of the Senate repeal and replacement of Obamacare. Now, with these two individuals, additionally with John McCain out of commission after having surgery, that means that this version of the bill is effectively dead. We may even see more Republican support rolling off as it didn't seem like any one of them wanted to be the straw that broke the camel's back, so to speak, for healthcare. However, now Mitch McConnell has a plan B, and it's not the plan B that you're thinking of. This plan B is to repeal Obamacare outright. It's taking, uh, you know, it's basically taking its idea from a bill that the House passed in 2015 and saying, hey, uh, Obama definitely wouldn't sign this. He was going to veto this just repeal without replacement. But Trump, Trump is totally on board because Trump needs a fucking W. That's right. Trump needs a win. And so he may just be willing to sign this type of legislation. 
The question is, will Republicans who are more moderate going to sign this? Because it certainly doesn't uh, take away any qualms that they had with the Senate bill itself, which was essentially the big issues that they had with the giant cuts to Medicaid that the Senate bill was going to instate. At this point, we don't know too much more other than Mitch McConnell really wants to get this done, the White House really wants to get this done, and, well, <laughs> it looks like it will be time to have a, another fun CBO score about what repeal would mean, and that's going to be really fun for moderate Republicans when it gets out to the press and social media. Woof. Well, Politics Explained is going to stay tuned to this. Will you? Of course you will, because you can just listen to Politics Explained. So what's the best way to defend yourself and your loved ones from fake news? Well, one theory has to do with basically being a loner, and the other theory has to do with surrounding yourself with people who disagree with you. Earlier on The Politician, whoa, not called The Politician anymore. Holy snap, that's a throwback. On Politics Explained in the past, I've talked about how Surrounding yourself with people who disagree with you makes it harder for incorrect information like conspiracy theories that are jumbled up in your head to survive because there's some social pressure to conform. However, the opposite could be true. You could be surrounded by a bunch of other people who you defer to and maybe think are more interested or political experts, and when you hear them giving an opinion, you just kind of say, okay, yeah, that's my opinion too. Let me tell you a little story about something called the ash experiments. So this is the ash like rope experiment, you could think of it. So bunch of doctors in lab coats come up uh, to you and two or three other people and you're in a laboratory setting and they hold up two strings. One is about a foot long. One is about a foot and a quarter long and they're holding them at the same points. Now they ask you all in order which string is longer. The first person will say the one on the right which may make you raise an eyebrow because you were pretty sure that the one on the left was indeed longer. They ask the second person, which is longer? They say right. And the third person says right. Now it gets to you. Well, the study showed that even though, even if you were pretty sure that it was actually the one on the left that was long, you would go along with the herd, go along with the group, because maybe if all three of them said that the one on the right was longer, they were seeing something that you just weren't seeing, and you were afraid of being wrong. In this case, the experiment showed that even when the objective truth was right in front of someone's face, they were unwilling to go along with it about, you know, 10-20% of the time. So when you think about how you can combat fake news, be careful. Do you stick to your own guns and try to do a lot of research yourself? Or do you defer to the intelligence and time uh, that others have spent trying to research politics and all the things that go along with it? Think about these things as you go on into your life. And I'll see you tomorrow here on Politics Explained. I'm 